Hey everyone, our greatest desire is that this podcast would make you more excited about studying the Bible. So we encourage all to come to their own conclusions based on a personal study of God's Word regarding the subjects being discussed. The views expressed by the guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our sponsors or who they represent. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review or share it with your friends. Now, here's the show. I had come to a place where I realized who I actually was, minus my family, right. minus, you know, the clothing of, of that I put on to be a good Christian. And I was extremely, extremely discouraged. I remember I was lying in my bed and I was looking up at the ceiling and I just had to say, I, I don't think there is. Hmm. I don't think there is a God. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Today's guest is not only a personal friend, but a fellow college student. His name is Mark Keon. Mark was born in Michigan, before his family moved to California. That's where he attended Weimar Academy for four years, completing his senior year as the student president. He now attends Weimar College, where he studies as a pre-med student majoring in religion. It's complicated, but he understands it at least. Mark is, if you haven't figured it out already, quite a young man. But his focus is on where God is taking him, not necessarily where he's come from. And it's right here that Mark sees himself in Jacob. As Jacob's father Isaac nears the end of his life, the time has come for him to bestow the family blessing upon his firstborn, Esau. Knowing that God intended for Jacob, Esau's younger twin, to actually receive the blessing, his mother Rebecca concocts a ridiculously elaborate plan to trick Isaac into blessing Jacob instead. Isaac at this point is practically blind. And before he submits to death, he enlists Esau's help in securing his favorite meal, some wild venison. As Esau heads out to hunt, Rebecca convinces Jacob to don Esau's garments and cover himself in goat's hair in order to best imitate his brother. She sends him into his father with the meal already prepared, and there, Jacob, whose name means the supplanter, pretends to be Esau, procuring his father's blessing. Plagued with guilt thereafter and knowing that death surely awaits him when his brother finds out about this treachery, Jacob flees, never to return. We kind of pick up his story um, in a place where he's having to take a break. He's been running and he's in this kind of plain area and he's resting for the night. And it's in this that he has an experience with God that is incredible. Mm. This vision 
uh, that we see in the narrative where God shows him this ladder where angels are going up and down and he has essentially promised that he was going to be um, someone important to God, someone who was uh, going to be leading his people. And this is, this is remarkable given that, you know, Jacob is, he's a deceiver. Right. He's, he's deceived his brother out of his birthright twice, like you mentioned. And it's not as though he's fleeing, you know, and, and repenting on the way. He right. Fe- he feels guilt, <laughs> sure. Right. Um, but, but really, this is a man who's not with God anymore. Right. In, in fleeing, it's almost symbolic of him fleeing from his relationship with the Lord. Mm. And, and yes, there's guilt, but he lies down to sleep that night. And he's not really with God at this time. Mm-hmm. So for God to give him that image, that dream of this ladder representing Christ, connecting the heavens to the mm. earth, being that mediator, letting Jacob know, you know, that that he still loves him. This is quite remarkable. It is. It is, especially based on how Jacob's life has been so far. Because mm-hmm. even even from the womb, it says that he has been wrestling with Esau. Right. So this is a natural tendency and you can kind of see that. And now it's kind of playing out in a position where it's not favoring him. Mm-hmm. Um, however, with that, after this experience he has with God, he has an interesting way of referring to his relationship with God at this point. Right. And we see that in chapter 28, verse 21, he gives a list of conditions to God. And then he simply says, after these are done, then shall the Lord be my God. Mm. Okay, and, and I, I, I think it's fascinating because he, he's connected with God. It's not like he doesn't believe God exists. He knows that. He's seen it now in that, in that dream. Right, right. Very clearly, a, a specific message to him that in this, your darkest hour, I still have a plan for you. Uh-huh. And even with that, uh, I feel like Jacob is trying to still make things go in his direction. Okay, it says in the verse, if you have clothe on my back still, if you lead me back to my father's house in peace, um, then you will be my God. Mm. And then he keeps on his journey. And this is this is really just, you know, this is the modern Christian. Mm. You know, okay, I've, I've had this experience. Right. I, I, I'm pretty sure that what I've just seen is God revealing himself right. to me. And so now I know, you know, before, before conversion and sometimes even before um, conviction, you're convinced mm, and and point. Jacob is convinced at this time there's a God I've seen it with my own eyes I've experienced it there is a God however this is this is just the convinced stage he's saying God if I'm truly going to give myself up to you then I have needs and it's important to note that his desire to be a Christian isn't at that point enough yet mm-hmm um, because he wants to. And I think a lot of people, whether they are saying they want to be a Christian or not, want goodness. Right. They want what is right. They want justice. They mm-hmm. want, you know, whatever, you know, issues come up and, and they're like, no, I want to stand for the right, whatever they find that to be. And, and and the problem is, is that standing up for something or feeling that you have a desire to be something does not make right. it so. Uh-huh. The position of being, of wanting means you don't have it. And, and we see that because, you know, Jacob has deceived his very own father, um, trying to get that blessing. Uh, he has kind of an identity issue when he goes in to see his father. He knows that the blessing is supposed to go to the eldest son. Um, but at the same time, he's trying to make it work out so that he gets it. Mm-hmm. And he knows that it's kind of been promised to him earlier. And this is where this controversy really takes place because there is this blessing that's been set aside for the firstborn. Mm-hmm. But when you look at Jacob's ancestry, somehow it's always evaded that firstborn. 
Yeah. You know, Cain comes first, but Abel and then Seth is, they're really the blessed ones. Mm. The same is with Ishmael and Isaac, um, with Jacob's own son, Reuben. And also with Joseph's children in Manasseh and Ephraim, it's, it's quite interesting to look at that trend. Right. But there is this blessing. And according to the word of God, it was meant to go to Jacob, but it wasn't meant to go this way. And, and Jacob straight up lies to his father and essentially just says, I am Esau. Yeah, this, this story, um, I, I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard this story. I was, hmm. I was at a... A Friday night church service, you know, those young people services. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this story. I'm like, okay, here's, here's this patriarchal figure, Jacob, who I've only heard good things about. Mm-hmm. And his mother comes up with this plan for him to now gain the blessing, that right. which has been promised. And the circumstances in which he, he gets it, the plan that Rebecca, Isaac's wife, actually concocts is quite remarkable. She... When, when Isaac sends Esau out, Esau's the hunter. Right. So Isaac's saying, listen, I'm coming to the end of my life. Um, can you go and get me the venison, the meat that right. I love so right. much right. before right. I right. die? You know, as if, as if he's in prison, you know, it's his last <laughs> meal. Um, and, and Esau goes out, Esau the hunter leaves, and Isaac comes in moments later um, as part of Rebecca's plan with this same meat. Mm-hmm. But only does he come in with the food, but he's actually dressed up like a child, you know, like, right. like you're going out for Halloween or like something. Hall- he's yeah. dressed up trick or treat. He's Esau's to get, yeah. clothes. Right. This is really it trick is, or treat. It is, it is the biblical <laughs> trick or treat. He's trying to trick, not only, this is the fascinating part, and it reveals his relationship with God. He's not only trying to trick his father at this point, he's trying to trick God. Mm. But then again, one would have to ask himself, have, have I not done this myself? Mm. Have I not attempted to wear someone else's clothing to get something from God that I want? Mm. Trick or treat is not just... You know, a silly thing. I think it's. I think it's definitely a Christian thing that we do sometimes because we know the right clothes to wear. Mm. Uh, we know what it looks like. We have people, teachers, principal. I don't know who who could be parents even, who wear that well. And so we think, hey, if I just do what they do, I'm gonna get the same thing without having that relationship. So in essence, we come clothed as others, right? And and we we look at the things that others are doing. So well, God is blessing them. If I'm just like that then surely I'll also get the blessing. Right. It's this idea that you can third wheel into heaven, mm. that I'll just come in on someone else's shirt tails. Um, and I remember a professor once told me just the simple phrase, he started out a worship talk, God has no grandchildren. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And essentially what he was trying to say is that you can't come in um, on someone else's credit. Right. That doesn't work with God. And, and that's really a blessing because you wouldn't want to do that with God, being am- as amazing as he is and what he wants for you. And this, this is a universal rule. You know, if you, if you look even, even in the world, look at travel. You know, when you're born as a baby, you can travel with your parents for free. Like you don't need your own identity True, yeah. or anything. You just show up at the airport, you're in someone else's arms, you just whisk right through. Right. But there comes an age when you need your own passport now. Right. You need your own identification to be right. able to make it through these doors. Right. And with Christianity, it really is no different. If we're going to make it to the kingdom of God, I can't make it just because I'm I'm the child of a great pastor or a great evangelist. Right. No, it's it's true. It's true. And and, and that's really the, the crux of the issue here is that there is no heaven without a personal God. Mm. You can't go there without ending up being a prince or a son of God. Right. That is what it is to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's fascinating because in this sense, 
Jacob is essentially born into a Christian household. Um, yeah. and, and that's something that I can, that I can correlate with is because I was, I've been raised into a wonderful, wonderful family, mm-hmm. amazing parents, a wonderful sister. I mean, the Lord has been so good to me in that. And yet there are serious uh, issues that even I face because of this, some people call it a congenital Christianity. Right. Because there's a potential that I can believe that because I am part of something good, it makes me good. Mm. That because I'm part of a Christian family or I have parents who are trying to lead me to Christ and everything that they do, that somehow is going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. And, and we don't see that. If anything, in this one, it's his mother's actually treating him and, and helping him to be a better trickster. Yeah, it's just a crazy family dynamic. Right. But you know, Mark, I've met countless people mm-hmm. that were born into, you know, Christian families. And they'd come to me and, and they'd say things like, wow, you know, you're, you're so on fire for the yeah. Lord. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, because you just come in, you don't really know sure. what it's like to not be on fire. Right. You know, you're just like, wow, this is, this is God, this is Jesus, this is the church, this is the mission. It's, it's it kind of takes you back. Um, but I, I distinctly remember an, a crazy amount of people coming to me and saying, man, I wish I was like you. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, oh, I was born in the church. I grew up in the church. I grew up always knowing God. I kind of wish I had this experience mm. where I was born outside of the church, yeah, outside of a family <laughs> of faith, so that I could really find God for myself, and then I'd be on fire. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's this strange paradox mm. of because because for me, having come from the outside in, yeah, I'm looking in and I'm like, man, I wish I was born in the church. Right. <laughs> I wish I was born in a Christian family. I wish I grew up with those morals. I wish I had these barriers. Um, even if they, you know, even if they're legalistic barriers, I wish sure. they still had those barriers so that I wouldn't <laughs> make those stupid mistakes right. that I made. And it's, it's just interesting to note each perspective. One always wants what the other one wants. Mm-hmm. And, and right. we, we use the saying, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. Right. But really having come from the other side, mm-hmm. there's no grass on the other side. <laughs> there's no grass. It's just been burnt up. It's gone. Right. It's it's a desert. It's desolate. It's sure. death. It's loneliness and it's pain. So just from my perspective, it's like what a what a blessing mm-hmm. to grow up in a family like Jacob has. Even though you know Rebecca kind of loses her mind. Sure, sure. Isaac's right, right, going right. blind. Esau wants to kill him. I get that's not your ideal right. family situation. But but that being said, I think that when when you're mentioning those people who come to you and say those things, I am one of those people. Right. I am one of those people who say, oh, the grass is greener on the other side because I don't feel it. You know, it's not, it's not coming. It's not, I want that up and I want the up part of the experience that I see, you know, someone like you having sometimes, you know, because for me, it seems to be, you know, at some points in my life, it seemed very even keel. And I was just like, okay, just kind of go along with it. Mm-hmm. And there was no, I don't know how to put it. There was no, there was no action, I suppose. There was right. no grit to the Christianity that, that I wanted. But that doesn't necessarily come from outside. That's true. You know, like the, the relationship that one can have with God, I believe, isn't dependent on, on your starting point. Right. It depends on where do you see God right now. That's true. You know, and, yeah. and I think that God is fair enough that he can light the heart of someone that's always been in the church just as easily as he can light Absolutely. someone from from the outside. I I don't think that anyone is at a disadvantage knowing God from their youth. Right. Um, And some would say you're not at a disadvantage from not knowing. I disagree. Uh, But but I really do think that you don't have to taste sin. 
to have a true experience of righteousness, of godliness. Absolutely. Because I think either way, you still have to have a personal relationship with God. And that's really what this comes down to, is that Jacob didn't have that Mm -hmm. congenitally. It's not something that comes down in your genes. So technically, although they do, you know, culturally have two different uh, situations coming from outside or inside, technically they're both the same starting point. No relationship with God. That's right, that's right. And you have to... um, understand that point first and then move forward. And so that's what that's what God has to do is God has to become Jacob's God personally. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. He's not. Jacob refers to God as the God of his father, not his own. He toys with the idea of accepting God, but only on his own conditions. The fact is, Our relationship with God cannot be based on our terms and stipulations. God knows what we need. And if we think we know best, if we think we can get through life without God or with a superficial relationship with Him, well, we might be surprised at the outcome. You're just going to have to come back after the break. Needless to say, there's a rather exciting wrestling match to listen in on. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. Jesus was a teacher. The Son of Man came down to earth that others may know who the Father is. His whole life was a glorious lesson about the character of God and the ins and outs of the kingdom of heaven. You only have to look around to see that the world is crying out for godly teachers, for those that will take up the position that Christ took and to share an education of which the results will last an eternity. If you love seeing people grow in the knowledge of God, and desire to use your talents in an effective way to lead others to Jesus, maybe you need to look into getting a degree in education. Weimar Institute offers such a thing, with a super exciting year of teaching abroad thrown in there too. Be a missionary for Christ. Be a teacher. To find out more, visit weimar.edu. It may not seem like it, but 25 years have passed since Jacob lived up to his name and deceived his father into blessing him. Now the day has almost arrived for Jacob to come face to face once again with his older brother Esau. The struggle that began in Rebekah's womb was soon to come to a head, and Jacob is resigned to this fact. He sends his family ahead of him and decides to spend the entire night in prayer to God, hoping against hope that Esau's heart would be softened. And it's during this night that Jacob feels a hand grip his shoulder. Thinking that an enemy is upon him, he exerts an almost superhuman effort to overcome his perceived foe. And their contest goes deep into the night before a simple touch displaces Jacob's heel. And somehow from this, Perhaps knowing that only a divine force could do such a thing, he realizes that he's just gone toe-to-toe with an angel. But he's now even more determined to not let go. Jacob, as decided as ever, wants the blessing of the Lord. But the angel responds to Jacob, saying, Let go of me. So we're coming upon this 
incredibly confusing and for me initially very uh, worrisome scenario where God is asking Jacob if he can leave. Mm. God is asking to leave. Right. And as a young Christian, um, I don't think I've ever been told of a God who wants to not be with me. Right. The idea, you know, that I've been presented is that God always wants to be with me, always wants to help me, always wants to be there, and, and really is at my beck and call. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the first things that we have to to realize in this, one of the most intense relationship scenes mm-hmm. in the Bible is that it cannot be that way. Right, we have this kind of picture of a boomerang God. Right. You know, I'll just throw him away and he'll come back. Right. You know, and, and it doesn't matter how many times I'll throw him away, he'll just keep coming back and back and back because he he never wants to leave me. He's just, right. He's so deeply in love with me right. we, that he'll we, keep coming back. Right. And, and if you think about it, that type of mentality about someone is how someone thinks about a servant. Mm. He should always be there for me. He should be at my beck and call. He should be able to give me whatever I ask. And like we learned earlier, I'm going to give him conditions. Right. And we're not saying, actually, guys, newsflash, we got it wrong. Right. God doesn't want to be with us. He's he's not wanting Jacob to let go of him because he suddenly doesn't love Jacob. Right. But he's saying, Jacob, if you're going to continue in your ways, you know, trying to do things in your own strength and and not letting me be your personal God, mm-hmm. then you're actually sending me away. Absolutely. Because I think God can't necessarily be with Jacob as Jacob. Hmm. That's what I would. That's what I would propose is that at this point Jacob is about to receive from Esau right across the river with a bunch of warrior men Mm -hmm. ready to destroy everything he has built up. Essentially this is the culmination of being in the womb wrestling two nations from the womb until now he's across the river by himself He's still trying to find a way. We see in their narrative, he's still trying to find a way. If I send like one group first and I'll split up these groups, right, and I'll yeah. find a way to make it happen. I'll send the women ahead of Right, <laughs> right. And maybe that will like make him sad and, you know, appease the, my, my brother. Um, and so he's standing there. Essentially, you'd have to consider that Jacob is realizing that I will be slaughtered with everything I have made for myself tomorrow morning. And he's alone with no possession. And he's here, as we learn, uh, later on in the narrative and in, in, in Hosea, that this is God. Mm-hmm. God, the divine, is wrestling with Jacob, the supplanter, mm-hmm. on the banks of this river before he is to be killed. Um, this is this is just, I mean, God, right, is wrestling <laughs> with Jacob, right. Like I don't know what that looks like. I, I can't. Right. I don't know I don't how to picture I, it. Right. Um, but. It's it's an actual struggle. Not I, I, we see, you know, God touches his hip, it's out of place. Right. It's it's not that God is necessarily struggling, but but what's highlighted is Jacob's resistance here. Mm-hmm. That he's just not willing to give up. And your point, your point that you made is is strong, and that God is saying, listen, I can't be with you if you're just going to be like this. Right. I can't be with Jacob as Jacob. Right. And we know that that's the case because in Hosea. Uh, chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, uh, primarily, well, let's go from 4. He says, talking about Jacob, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength, he struggled with God. Mm-hmm. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. Mm-hmm. He sought, he found him in Bethel, and there 
he spoke to us. So when he says he struggled with the angel and prevailed, he wept and sought favor, there's this scenario where they're, they're struggling, and it's also a struggling where Jacob is emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally asking for favor. Hmm. There's something off. He's experiencing guilt. And I think that the you see this when, when the angel, when God asked Jacob in the very short dialogue they have that is recorded, asks him, what is your name? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's because God didn't know Jacob's name. Right. That's clearly not what it was. It was because that this same scenario where someone's asking for favor and then someone asks someone else's name is part of Jacob's history. Mm-hmm. The last time this happened, he didn't give his name. He gave Esau's name. And so he's coming back to this scenario now. God is essentially re-bringing up to him, hey, this is what you've done. Mm-hmm. This is the scenario. And if you're like this, you got to send me away. I can't be with you, Jacob, when you're like when we're when it's like this. This isn't the way that you're supposed to be leading my people in the future. And like you said, this isn't often the picture that we get of God. Right. It's not the one that we like to paint in pictures, you know? Right. But this is reality. The same thing happened with Jesus. Remember in John chapter six, he's you know, he's fed all of these people, he's got five thousand men and and then women and children on top of that following after him. And he tells them, you know, this isn't gonna be easy. Right. If, if you're gonna, if you want to make it in this walk, you're gonna have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right. And they're like, <laughs> "All right, we're done." Yeah. And they walk away, and Jesus turns around to his best friends, like his twelve disciples, and this is in the very last few verses of John chapter six, and he looks at them and he says, "Will you leave too?" Hmm. In other words, the door is open. Right. If you don't want this relationship, if you don't want this experience, you don't have to have it. Right. Even if you've been born in the church, even if you're, you know, part of a Christian family, if you don't want God, he's not going to force you to have him. Right. In in this case, the door is always open. You can leave right. whenever you want. And he's saying the same thing to Jacob. Right. And, and you kind of see this same situation mm-hmm. with King Asa in Second Chronicles. There's this, uh, this prophet that comes to Asa kind of in the middle of his reign about. He uh-huh. started out really well. But he's not, he doesn't end very well. And right in between where Asa starts making bad decisions, mm. this prophet, the prophet Oded is his name, um, comes to Asa and he says, the Lord is with you. Mm. It reads, when you are with him, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Mm. And so it, it's kind of fascinating. But I think what's so important and what this section, what Oded said, helped me to understand the beauty of scripture in that everything matters in scripture, hmm. right? And I think you can see that through throughout the Bible, through every character that's discussed. But specifically here, you see that the Lord uses words exactly as he means them. And I'll, I'll kind of explain what I mean. In in what Oded is saying, um, the, the burden of the movement of whether the Lord will be with them or not is based on the person, uh-huh. right? So, like it says with Jacob, the Lord's not saying, I'm leaving now. Right, he's it's saying, not to let say, go of me. Right, right. He's not saying, like, you're no longer worth it, so I'm going to leave you. It's almost like he said, now you have the opportunity to leave this relationship mm. because it's either transformative or it's not a relationship. Right. So if you expect to be in a relationship with a God that's not going to change you, then that God doesn't exist and that God doesn't want to be with you because mm. he's not there. And, and this is what frustrates me is that we, we like to say the phrase, I've heard this many, many times, where it's just relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just a relationship. Don't worry about anything else. 
with God, it's just about relationship. Right. What is just about a relate? What what is just simply a relationship? Yeah, I don't think that person was in a relationship (laughs) when they said it. (laughs) Right. Those those two words, you know, simply or just and relationship, they don't match. Uh There's not a relationship I can think of where there's not conditions. Mm -hmm. There's conditions to every relationship. I mean, based on what society is now, how can we look to the relationships that we have? be able to say what they're supposed to be anyway. Mm. You know, there's so much more than just relationship. Yes, it's a relationship, but here, wrestling with the God of the universe on the night that he is to be murdered the next day by his brother for Mm -hmm. all the sins he's committed, that's relationship. Right. And that's kind of what we're discovering here is what are the elements that are being played out here? There's this element of him having to come to a realization as to who he is. Mm -hmm. He has to say the words, I am Jacob. Right. When God asks him, what is your name? He has to say, I am Jacob. This is who I am. I'm not Esau now. I'm not my father. This is who I am. I am a supplanter. I'm a deceiver. And then what's fascinating is what the angel's response is to that, what God's response is to that. Mm -hmm. He says in verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Right. There's change, mm-hmm. a radical change. Now, we may not think of a name change as as big of a deal now, per se, but back then, you know, the name was such an important part of your identity. Right. It was reflective of your person. Right. And so, in that sense, God's changing Jacob's person. His mm-hmm. entire change is happening in his life. And the, the name change is not just a name change. It's signifying everything that happened that night between them. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, this is who I am and God's saying, but this is who I want you to be. Right. This is who you can be. And, and what's, what's important here is that there are things that have to be overcome in his life. Mm-hmm. And in this scene... This, this is essentially what his name means now, right? Right. His name, you know, he is prevailed. He has overcome. And overcoming, and this is such an important part... Overcoming is not a special power of the Christian. Mm. It is Christianity. It's the focal point of the conversation with God on this very important time for Jacob at the lowest point in his life where everything he has is about to be liquidated. Mm. Change is happening. He's being changed. And, And the part that I love the most is that after this, you know, victory, so to say, Jacob asks in verse 29, he says, tell me your name, I pray, speaking to God. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating because I think, you know, in the end, we know that he knows it's God. I think it's around this time that his his, uh, assumptions or his ideas that this is God is confirmed because the only other time someone's name has been changed Mm -hmm. is his grandfather and his grandmother. Right. So at this point, he must be realizing, wow, if this person can change my name, change my life, Mm-hmm. This must be the same God who did this for my grandfather and right, grandmother. For Abraham and Sarah. Exactly. And so that that you know family thing actually comes in as a benefit here. Because mm-hmm. he's like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've heard of this story before. Right. I've, I've seen heard this, this happen. Yeah. Who are you? Wait a minute. Who are you? And the Lord responds and says, Why is it that you ask me about my name? And here's the part that I love. And it just simply says right after that, and he blessed him there. Mm. So there's this short dialogue. He says, let me go for the day breaks. And then Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then there's this name exchange. Very simply, um, Christ asks him, what is your name? He says, Jacob, changes the name. And then he asks, what's your name? And he says, why do you ask my name? I'm going to bless you right now. Hmm. 
And and I I, I, was, I struggled with that because I was like, okay, what? Why would you respond when someone asks you your name? Why would you respond with a blessing? And then I realized that this is more than what Jacob could ever have asked for. It's beyond just him being remedied. Now God is bringing him up to where he wanted him to be originally, to receive the blessing that was supposed to be his, the birthright that was always his. Right. But he's giving it to him now in the right timing. And this is the only thing, this is the thing that Jacob has always wanted, but could never actually receive, mm -hmm. never actually get. And that's how God says, you, you want to know who I am? I'm the one who can give you this blessing that was meant to be yours. Wow. An introduction happens. Right, yeah. It's the beginning of a relationship. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I don't see him asking for his life to be spared. Mm -hmm. I don't see him asking that his wives and livestock would not be... Or he doesn't even ask for Esau here, we see, to be his heart to be softened in the morning. He's just asking. He wants to know God. Mm -hmm. Who are you? What is your name? And God essentially says, you want to know who I am? I'm going to give you that blessing. That's who I am. And that's an incredible, an incredible response. So again, here we see the importance of a personal experience with God. Right. Again, if it's not personal and it's deeply relational to the point where it's changing lives, uh -huh. God can't be with that. God can't be with that scenario. That's the thing. Change isn't optional in the life of the Christian. Absolutely. And, and you see that in how Jacob continues his life right after this, after his experience with Esau um, the next morning. In chapter 33, verse 20, he builds an altar and he essentially calls it, uh, when it's translated, the God of Israel, mm -hmm. which at this point, that's his name. Right. And so he's essentially saying, yeah. This is my God. Mm. And he acknowledges his new name too. So it's not just it's not just saying that, yeah, this is the God of Jacob. No, no, no. This is my God, the God who changed my name, mm. the God who changed me. And that's why those those that three step that we saw, um, first of all, it was, you know, the God of my father. You know, I'm part of this family, is the God of my father. Then there's, you know, this desire, he will be my God. Mm. And then now we see him completely changing where he's like, you know what? It's the God of me now. It's my God. And this is where Jacob speaks to us all. It doesn't matter what kind of relationships our parents had with God, good or bad. And as much as we may feel differently, our past, our mistakes, are not what's going to define who we are in God's eyes. Jacob messed up time and time again, but God still came to wrestle with him, to change him. The my God experience needs to be my experience, your experience. The reason that this narrative is, is so, so moving to me, I suppose, mm -hmm is because I have often found myself in those first two categories. Mm -hmm. I have always desired to be a better person or desire, you know, to have a relationship with God. Right. Um, and you know, I, I struggle. I really do with that idea of third wheeling into heaven, the idea that I can just be a grandchild of God, be a really, really good grandchild. Mm 
mm. and that will somehow work. And I remember specifically, um, probably between my freshman and sophomore year that summer of high school uh, was a very difficult time for me because as a young man, I, I came upon temptations. I came upon, um, I came upon struggles. Mm -hmm. Like Jacob, I kind of came to a J-Bock experience. Not, not as intense. It wasn't like I was, you know, on the point of physical death or something. Mm -hmm. But I had come to a place where I realized who I actually was minus my family. Right. Minus, you know, the clothing of, of, that I put on to be a good Christian. Um, and I was extremely, extremely discouraged. And I started playing with the idea that there um, cannot be a God because I have these struggles, I have these problems, and I can't fight them. I, wa I want to be able to defeat Esau's in my life. I want to mm. be able to cross that river and do it myself. Um, and in some respects, even when I was younger, I, I had always had that desire to be against that which is wrong. Mm -hmm. But during that summer, there was just different things um, that challenged that. And when I realized that I couldn't anymore and there were temptations that held me too strongly. Um, and so I had to come to a point where I was either going to decide to wrestle with God or just continue this is kind of weird, but continue a relationship with that which I was struggling with. Mm. Because that's essentially what happened to Jacob, is he had to decide between struggling with God or struggling with man. Right. And um, struggling with man and having a relationship with that which hurts you is not victorious. It's the nature of what it is. And so I began to lose ground in my Christianity. I remember I was lying in my bed and I was looking up at the ceiling and I just had to say, I, I don't think there is. Hmm. I don't think there is a God. And again, you know, with all the circumstances, I have to praise God every day. I, every circumstance was in my favor. I was going to an amazing school, amazing friends, amazing family. Everything was set up for victory for me. Right. But when it came to the point where I had to recognize my humanity and my inability to live a victorious life, um, I had to choose. Because if I just continue to struggle the way I am, I will eventually, God will have to depart mm. from, from me. And that's not to say that I can never get him back or, or he isn't wanting to be with me. But... I've always been his son, but he has to wait for me to claim him as my father. Mm. And he does that out of love, out of free choice. And then God so overwhelms us with his grace that we have to ask him again, hey, Lord, what are you all about? Show me more. But it's an incredible process. And it's never just a relationship with God. that hath an ear, let him hear. And you just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more 
or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Why They Did That. This show was produced and edited by Christian Freed. Finally, I want to thank Weimar Institute, the media department, and especially Teresa Costello for help making this possible. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. Why They Did That.